every once in a while I have this wonderful aha moment where the heavens open and the angels sing and I finally found something that I thought wasn't in existence here and you're like oh that's nice old El Paso Hello and welcome to my podcast. I'm Megan McCrory, an American professional living and working abroad in Switzerland. This podcast is all about my life living as an expat. I've been living in Switzerland for the past seven years and I love it. I've often got questions from both Americans and Europeans about living abroad. So I finally decided to create my own podcast and that way I can dive more into those topics that interest you the most. So this is my fourth podcast, episode four, and I am super stoked. I can tell you I am super happy because my 13-year-old nephew listens to my podcast. I am so happy. I mean, if any of you have 13-year-olds in your life in any way, shape, or form, you know it's almost impossible to capture their attention away from Minecraft or other such games. And when my nephew texted me and told me that he was listening and how come there's not any more episodes, like he said, really, he said, how much time does it take to make an episode? And I said, well, I mean, if you just want, you know, the recording time is just the recording time, maybe half an hour, 45 minutes, depending on how much I'm talking. He's like, well, how come you don't have more episodes then? So (laughs) I was super excited to see that he was very interested in my podcast. And uh, so I am very happy about that. So shout out to my nephew, Riley. Hey, see you soon, bud. Hey, Megan, this is Kara. I just had a couple questions for you. What are some of the differences in food and the quality of food and the availability of certain things? So today's episode is all about food, food quality, food safety, food availability. And this question comes from Kara. Um, She had a bunch of questions, as I mentioned in episode two on the language podcast. So I'm following up on this, and this was really a fun topic to research. Um, Actually, I love to cook and I love to bake. So for me, the whole food thing in Europe is especially interesting because... Um, I had to basically learn how to cook again. The stovetop was different here. The uh, ingredients are different, or at least they have different titles. Yeah, it was it was really, really quite interesting to learn how to, to do everything um, here. And I'm almost, after seven years, have the conversion rate from Celsius to Fahrenheit to Celsius for my oven temperatures, um, but not quite. I have a cheat sheet next to my oven. Let's start off with food quality first. Um, And if anybody who's listening who doesn't actually know me personally, um, I am a quality manager, and so quality is near and dear to my heart. And um, I went ahead and looked up the definition of quality uh, so we can all be on the same page. said, the standard of something as measured against other things of a similar kind or the degree of excellence of something. And I think that's really a great way to talk about food because what I'm going to do is, okay, what's the quality of food versus U.S. uh, food, which is um, interesting in itself. But there's also quality differences just between the countries and within Europe as well. And I really have become acutely aware of the quality of food and the differences 
when I've moved to Switzerland um, because uh, where I live in Switzerland is near Basel and this is where Switzerland, France, and Germany all, all connect. And you can go from a grocery store in France to a grocery store in Germany to a grocery store in Switzerland all within one day. So it's quite easy to compare on one day the differences between these stores, which is also quite fantastic and I enjoy that flexibility to go to these different countries. You know, let's just start off with the basics, you know, like France for the cheese, the bread, and the wine, Um, Germany for meat and beer, and Switzerland for cheese. Uh, I prefer the Swiss vegetables and chocolate. These are stereotypes, but all stereotypes are rooted in truth. That's how they developed. Um, but I, I want to stay away from the negative aspects of stereotyping because what makes a stereotype a bad thing or a negative thing is when someone is judging uh, judging an unknown based on only that one fact. In the area around Basel, as I mentioned, where these three countries connect, all the stores have quite similar products and in some cases, even the same products across the borders. And what I mean by that is obviously the grocery stores are set up in pretty much the same way in terms of like a produce section or vegetables and fruits, uh, meat cases, dry goods, um, refrigerated sections, and so on. Now, there is some small differences. My French friend Claire told me about the grocery stores in France, and it sounds like the grocery stores in France, the bigger ones, are more like what you would consider... Um, and and not, not in the quality, but the format of something like a Walmart or a Target that has a grocery store inside. So some of the grocery stores in France have the ability to have also electronics and, you know, you could buy a coffee maker or an electronic toothbrush or some books or, you know, other things besides groceries. And you really don't find that too much in Switzerland or in Germany unless the grocery store is in like a a shopping center type of area. But then again, you're not it's not all in one shop um, and it's not the equivalent in to the French shops. And I'm specifically talking about La Carre, La Carre. Okay, I'm going to spell that wrong. I'll put it in the show notes, um, which is a very big grocery store chain in, in France. For example, French love their foie gras, and they also, uh, so they have a really high demand for foie gras, and foie gras is um, this uh, fatty duck, you know, goose liver, um, so tasty, and um, the grocery stores in France have way more variety and higher quality of foie gras available then let's say in the Swiss stores, which you could buy foie gras here in Switzerland, they do enjoy it as well, but it's not as in high of a demand. So there might be less brands to choose from than in the in the French stores. Typically for meat, when we're grocery shopping, Germany really has a high demand for like their meat, um, especially sausages or Wurst, um, as they call it in Germany. So when you go to a German grocery store like the meat counters are amazing um so the meat counter kind of starts off with the poultry and pork and beef these kind of cuts and then it goes into these more of a 
I'm going to say processed meats, but Jay was like, it's not processed in the terms of like what you would think of as over-processed, but it's still, it's not like a natural cut of meat. They've done something to it in terms of making it into kind of like a deli style meat or um, sandwich meat. Um, So they, it's amazing. The quantity and variety of foods there and really the um, what's behind the counter at a German grocery store is typically coming from the region so they have a wide variety of sausages or sausage types throughout the country so from a regional standpoint you're going to be able to find certain sausages only in certain parts of Germany and that means also then those sausages are really produced quite locally And in the German grocery stores, they do have, you know, a refrigerated section with meats that are processed, which are coming from larger uh, manufacturers and are more consistent across the whole country. So that itself, I think, is quite interesting. Um, I can't say for the U.S. because I have only lived in the Midwest, but I would think that you'd be able to go to any butcher in the U.S. and ask for a specific cut of meat or something and maybe there's some slight regional variations but I think across the U.S. um, pretty much you can get whatever you want from any American butcher because they butcher the meat the same pretty much all over the U.S. and that's again something different in Germany and in France and in Switzerland Um, they butcher the meat different with different cuts that's interesting it's quite Uh, overwhelming actually to go to a German grocery store and look at the meat selection and uh, because also the Germans that are behind you they know exactly what they want and I'm just like taking in all of these different possibilities of what I can have and so if I really want to go and explore my meat options um, I typically either go on an off time so it's a little slower so I can actually talk to the butcher and whatnot but otherwise I'm, I'm quite overwhelmed with it and um, and back into Switzerland um, the Swiss obviously do chocolate really well and I find that the chocolate selection in Switzerland is just outstanding I mean I can bring very very good chocolate just from the grocery store and they have usually a whole aisle uh, devoted to chocolate in in Switzerland it's funny because in the U.S. I know we have like baking chocolate and you might say, well, we have whole aisles of chocolate, but it's like chocolate candy. And the thing is, though, that the chocolate that you can buy in Germ- in Switzerland, it's really, you don't need to eat a lot of it to enjoy it. And I know that sounds weird, but um, that kind of goes to the America's more of quantity over quality. So I think that's a definitely one of the situations where you know, just one square of really, really good chocolate, and that's enough. You don't need any more because it's so good and it's so rich. And however, if I'm eating M and M's and something, I can eat them a lot of them, and I still feel like I, yeah, it's you know what I'm talking about. It's like a, it's decadent the chocolate here, and not all chocolate. I mean, they have whole chocolate lines that are definitely just for kids that are a little bit more milk chocolate a little sweeter and so on but that's the the point I mean you can go to the grocery store and get such a wide variety of of chocolate um again a little overwhelming but it's fun because you can try and all the chocolate is good so it's not like you can go wrong and the Swiss also have a lot of artisan chocolate companies 
in Switzerland where you can go and buy chocolate directly in a shop. And again, it's outstanding stuff. So it's it's quite fun to play around and have uh, one truffle or two truffles after lunch one day. Anyway, my, my point is with those quick examples is to simply say that really whatever is stocked in the grocery store is obviously what the consumers are demanding for that country and that region. And the different tastes go across different country lines. Um, You'll find in probably northern Germany and the Scandinavian countries way more fish products and fish-related products. I know in Scandinavia they have like a fish egg spread that you can put on bread, um, super tasty and a little salty, that I don't think we can even find down here. So uh, places obviously close to the water have a lot more seafood and, and fish and fish products, uh, which we don't see here very much. I mean, obviously we can buy fish, but it's not to the degree that you can get it up north. So in that respect, I'm still very much um, like in the Midwest where I don't have very much water around me. So uh, for that part, it didn't change very much in terms of the fish. But I do want to share a story. Uh, so you know, talking about quality, there's quality in when you go to a restaurant and then the quality from what you can get at the grocery store. And since we primarily actually cook at home because I love to cook, one of the reasons I like to cook at home and we don't go out very often is that I find it difficult to pay sometimes for the food I'm getting if I'm not enjoying it completely. And you know what I mean? If you got to go someplace where you know you're going to get the good food and it's not always a, a sure thing. But in relative, I think if you've listened to my podcast number three on office stuff, I go out for lunch almost every day and typically not every day to a restaurant. But so I really get like our and, and also Jay goes to a canteen or a cafeteria style restaurant. So we're eating out one meal a day almost all the time anyway. So we really cook at home or have bread and cheese and meat for dinner. You know, I'm from the Midwest and I eat meat and I love my hamburgers. And so one of the things that I've done here is I'm trying to find, you know, the perfect hamburger. Sorry to all my vegetarian and vegan friends. I do have stories about vegetable quality. I'll get to those. Um, But first, let me go on a little bit about hamburger because I think this is also um, a pretty easy way for the people who don't live here to understand um, the struggle. The struggle, yeah. I would say the quest, right? The quest for things. So um, I've been on a quest to have a good hamburger and most of the times when I go to the restaurants where they even tout like a really good hamburger or whatnot, they still, the hamburger meat itself in Switzerland for me is overprocessed and it's really lost its texture it's it's very much and and I think the equivalent is something kind of like a a meat patty from like Sam's Club or whatever you know these frozen meat patties and I feel like that's primarily what a lot of the hamburgers are made from around here these frozen meat patties there's a few good places for burgers I found here but it's really not as ubiquitous in the US where you can really go to any diner and get a good burger so I think that's definitely one point on the positive for the US after many failed attempts in restaurants I decided to make my own hamburgers at home including buns um, actually I'll come back to the buns but I bought 
ground beef from a Swiss star, 85% lean ground beef. And I made my burgers and it still was not right. I mean, the ground beef in the stores was still too overprocessed or it lacked enough fat or whatever, but it was not good enough to make a good burger. So my next step, obviously, in my quest was to grind my own meat. And this happened to be a bit of a challenge as well. So in order to grind my own meat, I really had to have the whole meat um, yeah, uncut from the butcher. So we decided to go to Germany to get the, the beef. Um, and um, as I mentioned before, the German uh, meat counter is quite extensive. So we figured we would find what we were looking for there as I already had experienced that the cuts of beef are different across countries, I went already with a diagram of a cow and the cut in the U.S. of what I wanted, which was right around the upper shoulder, back of the neck um, area, which has um, some good fat marbling in it and um, is good for, for that. And don't ask me right now what the name of that cut is, uh, but it's um, yeah, around the shoulder and, and neck area of the cow. So I had this picture and um, normally this level of explanation to a, not, to a German speaker, I would usually rely on Jay to help me um, explain things, although he doesn't really particularly care or like to talk with people or ask questions. <laughs> so, that, you know, that's like one of those struggles in our relationship where we're, we're somewhere and it would just be easier to ask the question, but I would have to ask it in German. And so I'm like, ask the question, ask the question. No, 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 we'll figure it out. And I'm like, just ask the questions faster. So if I had better German, I would be able to ask the question myself. Anyway, so we went and um, as soon as I started asking questions, the person behind the counter was like, okay, this is way too complicated. So they went to go get the butcher, the head butcher, who um, was called to take care of me. And he came out and actually he spoke English, uh, which was actually, <laughs> I was actually surprised. But seems like this guy uh, loved American football. And he also didn't understand why Trump... Uh, was elected so <laughs> why so many people like him and this is in the first like 20 seconds of meeting the butcher you know so these people are very uh into american um culture and american politics and actually anytime somebody realizes that i'm american um it happened also the other day out in the middle of the forest and there was a gentleman walking by and he found out that i was Amer like talking in swiss german and Asked if we were from England. No, we're not from England. We were from America. And then immediately starts in on, uh, on Trump. So anyway, we're not talking about politics. We're talking about burgers. So uh, let's get back to the burger. So the butcher gave me the correct cut of meat, which he had already available. And then I could see what it was called. And next time I could just go in and get it myself. And then I went home very happily and prepared my meat to uh, grind in what's called a Fleischwolf. And that's German for meat grinder, but literally it means meat wolf. So, uh, and that was on my KitchenAid uh, meat grinder thing. Because I have my background in quality and I also have a background in manufacturing and I'm a chemical engineer, I went ahead and designed an experiment for my um, hamburger. Um, using exactly the same seasoning ratio to meat, uh, I made three batches of meat 
one batch with one run through the grinder, so one pass through the grinder. The second batch had two passes through the grinder, and the third batch was actually just pre-ground meat from Germany um, that I used. And then, of course, I arranged the experiment around a time when we were be- when we had guests over, and we were scheduled to have burgers. And so I forced our guests to be my guinea pigs and made them try all three burgers with no condiments. And it turns out that the winner was basically either of my home ground burgers. So uh, one or two passes through the grinder, um, it did make a difference. And I think two passes was pretty good. All The whole point of this story is to tell you that this is just one example of where I found that what was available here was not to necessarily my expectation of what I wanted. I can give a few more quick examples. I make my own vanilla uh, extract because here they don't sell vanilla extract. They sell vanilla sugar in a little sachet or packet. And the recipes and the way the recipes are designed, and again, I use primarily U.S. recipes, the recipes that are designed here, when you have something that requires vanilla, it will call for one packet of vanilla sugar or two packets of vanilla sugar. So the way the recipes are written are definitely um, harder to translate when you have that kind of um, yeah difference in the way that they're using a, a, a flavor. Um, also, um, American brown sugar is very wet. Uh, American brown sugar is essentially white granulated sugar mixed with molasses. And how much molasses you mix with it depends on whether it's light sugar, light brown sugar, or dark brown sugar. And I never knew that until I moved here. And I realized that the only, when I said I want brown sugar, it's more like this uh, raw sugar. So it's dry, like granulated, but it's raw. Also, I mentioned earlier that I make my own hamburger buns because the hamburger buns you can find here really are horrible. Like, uh, they're the kind of thing that you could buy and put in a bunker and they're good for like 50 years. Um, I actually didn't think that they would like last because even though they don't use a lot of preservatives, it seems like they used enough preservatives in these things to keep these hamburger buns alive forever and they just weren't very good anyway um so making your own hamburger buns is really really easy and it's super super good so I just make my own hamburger buns and I freeze them and then whenever we have hamburgers I pop them out and put them in the oven and they're awesome those are my it's really my take on the quality of food now one of the things that I don't have experience with but I thought went relatively along with this topic was food safety because kind of safety and quality go hand in hand. And uh, I found a few things on the internet that kind of explained a little bit of the differences in the food, how food safety is evaluated between Europe and the U.S. One article that I read, uh, and I think this is the best way to describe it, is that the European Commission, which is you know the, the governing body of the EU, the European Commission Uh, said it, quote, aims at ensuring a higher level of environmental protection through preventative 
unquote, decision-making. So in other words, they say, um, when there is a substantial credible evidence of danger to human or environmental health, the protective action should be taken despite continuing scientific uncertainty. So what that means is, if there is even a possibility that this is whatever their their substance is being used is damaging the environment or persons it may be unsubstantiated yet maybe the scientific community is still figuring it out the european commission will ban it until it's proven not uh, harmful okay and in the other way for the us federal government essentially they have an approach that sets you have to prove harm so the other way around so it's it's almost like (laughs) guilty or innocent until proven guilty uh so all substances are innocent until there's proof of harm and then they might remove it but only might remove it um there was a lot of interesting in um um articles about this about how um lately you know like uh bpa was not actually banned but because there was it wasn't banned yet but because there was such a huge outcry from parents with the whole baby bottles and bpa leaching into the baby bottle um into the food that the industry changed because the consumers were advocating for it not because of the regulators and i think that's it's super powerful, and I think consumers need to know that they have the power for that and that if they can really get behind something, they don't need to wait for the FDA to regulate something. They can you know, implement and institute a change on their own. I think it's more about the awareness and knowledge of what could be harmful and getting all the facts straight and, and getting that information into the hands of consumers. I think that's really interesting how the different perspective is really, you know, in in Europe, it's guilty until proven innocent. And then, um, and which is why they have way more banned chemicals in, um, in Europe than they do in the U.S. The other thing, I guess, with food safety and quality also goes to growth hormones and hormone things like that, which are, you know, a big topic in U.S., Um, But the European Union has banned the use of growth hormones in animals, which since 1989, they banned U.S. meat import in 1989, which is funny because I've been to restaurants where they said that this meat is from the U.S. So it must be meat in the U.S. that doesn't have, that has been proven not to use growth hormone. But otherwise, when you're in a restaurant, they display somewhere in the restaurant where the meat and seafood are coming from. And a lot of times the meat is coming from France or Switzerland or Germany. In Switzerland, they do try, I think, to have a lot of the meat coming from Switzerland. So now on to food availability, uh, which is another, <laughs> you know, I mean, I think just in in my last, you know, 20 minutes of talking about food, you can kind of get an understanding of what's available and what's not available, but um, based on what the consumers want. It is quite interesting 
to me to go into a grocery store. I was in the grocery store the other day. I'm actually in the grocery store probably every other day because I do go very frequently and buy very small quantities of food. I was looking for cocoa, you know, like cocoa powder because I was making a chocolate cake and I wasn't sure if I had enough cocoa powder because they only give you... That's for baking, they give you very small quantities of everything, or that's what's available to buy. And I went to find cocoa powder in the Swiss grocery store, and I usually buy my cocoa powder in the German grocery store because, and I always wondered, why am I buying my cocoa powder in Germany? And I was reminded last night, well, because I couldn't find any freaking cocoa powder in the Swiss grocery store. Yeah. And I mean, they had all kinds of other weird baking stuff. Uh, but not cocoa powder. Things like that are... <laughs> and, and the grocery store in Germany is just across the, the just across the river, you know? So it's not like they couldn't get it here. It's not like it's some exotic ingredient. But obviously, the Swiss market does not call for cocoa powder. Um, maybe all chocolate desserts that they do, they melt the chocolate down, which is fine, but recipes sometimes just call for powder. And like uh, nuts, right? So walnuts, almonds. I really like uh, to make my own homemade almond milk. You know, I can't find almonds for the life of me, or was it hazelnuts or walnuts? It was some nut. I couldn't find it in Germany at all. I think it was almonds. I, I It was in, in Switzerland. So it's really bizarre what little things you can't find here and there. And sometimes I'm like, where is this? I know they must have this. It takes me forever. And every once in a while I have this wonderful aha moment where the heavens open and the angels sing. And I finally found something that I thought wasn't in existence here. And now I know where it is. I tend to not buy my groceries online. Some people do that, whatever they can't find. I just try to work around it. And since most of my recipes are in the U.S., you know, it's uh, a lot of butter, sugar, flour, so on. Yeah, it's those... I can't, I'm trying to think if there's something else that I could think of uh, where they just didn't have it. Those are the two things that come to my mind immediately of availability. Otherwise, you know, we have like a, you know, like a Mexican section. We have... a. a Jewish section, we have a UK section. I mean, they have all kinds of different food ethnicities within a local grocery store, which is very similar to the US. You can find like HP sauce from the UK in the US, for example. Um, And we have like old El Paso brands and, um, you know, some brands that are just directly from the US, which is kind of nice to see on the shelves. And you're like, oh, that's nice. Old El Paso. And then there's a lot of brands you don't know. And that's one of those things you have to learn all over again, which brands you like. Um, oh my goodness, ketchup was so gross. I, th- I thought I, I bought some straight up European ketchup. Uh, it was so watery and too, sh- it was really thin, not watery. It was thin and I had it and I'm just like, ugh, this is gross. And now I buy Heinz, honestly. I only buy Heinz because this is really what I remember ketchup to be like. But otherwise, I think for in terms of availability, we have pretty much everything you'd have in the U.S. grocery store. Um, I will take some pictures of some interesting things, I think, in terms of packaging sizes and some interesting things that we don't have in the U.S. that they have here. I think the only other thing I can think of is 
uh, peanut butter based things. So like Reese's Pieces, uh, peanut butter M&Ms, Reese's Cups, anything that has like a sweet peanut butter in it, you can't find here. So um, they just don't eat that kind of stuff. Other than that, I'm trying to think if there's anything else in the U.S., and I don't think so. Most of the stuff they have in the U.S. is available here. Plus, then they have some weird stuff available here. Again, I'll take some pictures and try to explain um, what those are. One of the things that, uh, it's not grocery store related, but in general that I do miss from the U.S. is breakfast. Like pancakes and going, I absolutely love going out for breakfast when I go home to the U.S. um, because they don't do breakfast like we do here, uh, you know, in in the U.S. So um, breakfast for me is a really special thing when I get to go home. Uh, I try to go out for breakfast several times, each time getting a favorite. So um, uh, one time I'll get pancakes, another time I'll get an omelet, waffle, or one of, you know, like a skillet or something. And really, the U.S. does this the best. And it, it's, it's interesting and different, and we don't eat so much breakfast here. But um, actually, this is something that's catching on now, and you can find in several places around where I live. So it must be pretty, uh, you might be able to find it in Germany as well, probably not France yet, is uh, American brunch right? And it's available usually on a Saturday or a Sunday or both days, but never, like you can't just go to any diner any day of the week and get breakfast. So that's not going to happen. But they do, they are starting to to make this American style breakfast and brunch. And also (laughs) they also have like a a UK style breakfast because UK does do breakfast. Uh, If you've ever seen a UK breakfast, it's usually beans and eggs and bacon and toast and some other stuff so in terms if in relative terms of size and the style of breakfast the uk and america typically have a bigger breakfast and i'm not saying to you know we eat big breakfast every day but you have that option to get that breakfast and here you can only really get it on saturday and sunday but again it's one of those things where i would go if i went to an american style brunch i would be disappointed because the standard of what I call American breakfast is, you, you, you know, they're still catering to the European taste, right? It's like exactly like going to a Chinese restaurant in the U.S. That's not typical Chinese food or Japanese food, what they would eat. It's altered to t- for the taste of the person or for the culture of which you're serving it in. I have the option to go to these American brunches but honestly I I don't even want to try it because I'm just I'm just nervous that it's not going to be as good don't get me wrong I love brunches but I don't think I necessarily want to go for what quote American brunch um, because I'm sure the pancakes are not going to be as awesome and the eggs maybe you can't really go wrong with eggs yeah but in general I'll just wait till when I can visit home. I think I probably could go on for another two hours just talking about food. Um, But I I really tried to give you at least a little bit of an overview about quality and safety and availability. Um, But if you're curious and you have more questions about food or specific things um, that I can dive into with food 
let me know. You can reach me at my Facebook page or my website or my email address, which is a one life as an expat at gmail.com. My website is meganjmercury.com. And yeah, leave me a comment and let me know if there's something specific that you've always been interested in or you've heard about and want to know more about. And then I will dive into that uh, as well. So for episode number five, I have a very, very special guest and even have a little preview of that special guest. I will all leave you hanging on who it is, but maybe this little clip, you might guess who it is from the clip. Here it is. I get it. Don't speak while your wife's speaking. Do I need to switch on my German accent? (laughs) No. So you got to tune in next time to find out who our mystery guest is. He will be discussing uh, how the differences or what it's like to be an expat in India. Thanks so much for downloading the show via iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. If you haven't yet, and I know this is really, you know, you hear everybody asking for this, but if you haven't yet, please give me a review, especially on iTunes, because I have to have like a minimum of five reviews before they even start showing up. Yeah, I would appreciate it. So if you could just give me a couple stars and if you have a few minutes and you want to write something, that would be great because then more, maybe more people can find the podcast. I appreciate you guys and I love you so much. Email me at onelifeasanexpat at gmail.com. My website is meganjmccrory.com where you can leave me comments and questions and Tell me what you want to know, what you want to hear, and I'll talk to you later. Ciao.